Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. So excited to be with you this morning as we continue our series called God, Money and Me. God, Money and Me. We're at week two of God, Money and Me. And God, Money and Me is a series that we are following uh, that's based upon Paul DeYoung's book of the same title, God, Money and Me and me. And as it says on the front of the cover, this is a series really about creating a pathway to financial freedom. A pathway to financial freedom. There's a lot of talk and conjecture when it comes to the issue of money. And people would say, the church only ever talks about money. And I just want to bring some reality or perspective to that misnomer. I think a lot of churches don't talk about money at all. At best, they might talk about generosity. They might talk about giving. They might talk about stewardship. But seldom do they talk about money per se. And the trouble is, if we don't address money and we only talk about generosity, stewardship and uh, being kind and sharing, we will get a skewed understanding of what it is when it comes to creating financial pathways of freedom. And that's really what this series is all about. It's about us finding freedom in the area of our finances. Just as we are keen to see people find freedom in the area of their relationships. Just as we are keen to find freedom, people find freedom in the area of their thinking and their emotions and their attitudes. We as a church exist so that you might find freedom in Christ because whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And for us to find freedom, certain areas that we are bound in need to be spoken about in order for freedom to come. You can't just pray about some things. You've got to inform. You've got to address. And you have to deal with certain things in order for freedom to come. In other words, there is a pathway to freedom when it comes to any area of your life. And there is no silver bullet. There is no just one thing. Prayer alone is not the answer to all things. Prayer is an essential ingredient to the puzzle, but it's not the only one. Just like I said last week, surprise, surprise, there is more than bananas in banana cake. I know that is a revelation and a shock to some of you. And some of you need to write that down. You're putting a banana in the oven and wondering why you don't have a cake. I'm telling you why. Because there's more than bananas in a banana cake. There are all kinds of ingredients that you need. And not only do you need all those ingredients, but they need to be skillfully put together. You can have all the ingredients, but if you put the wrong ingredient in first, you still won't get a proper banana cake. You'll just get sludge. But if you want banana cake, and if you're anything like me and you like banana cake, you need more than just bananas. You need all the ingredients and those ingredients need to be put together. And so I think there are a lot of Christians struggling in the area of their finances because they've been taught stewardship and generosity and giving and tithing, all of which are essential ingredients to creating a healthy financial pathway, but it's not the silver bullet. And just being generous alone does not mean that you will have a lot of finances and that you'll be blessed. 
You can actually give yourself to poverty. You can give to the point where you have no more. And this series is really about us creating a healthy pathway that we can look at all the ingredients so that we can find financial freedom. Because let's be honest, there are a lot of people in bondage when it comes to this particular area, the area of money. Jesus spoke about money more than any other subject. Why? Because He knows what a stronghold and what a grip it has on our lives. And the kindest thing He could do is talk about it. And the kindest thing the church can do is to talk about it. And that's what this series is all about. Jesus addressed some of the myths associated with money. And that's what we looked at last week. We looked at money myths. And please remember that all of our messages are available to download on Podbean or Beanpod and podcast and our uh, website. What is it? Podbean, that's right. And podcast and Podbean and, and uh, website and all those incredible forms of technology that are available today. But today, as week two, we're going to look at money's spirit. Money, I don't know if you know this, has a spirit. And before I go any further, I'm going to ask if you would turn your attention to the screen as we have a look at Andre's testimony in and around the grip that money had on his life. And today he lives in the freedom and he lives as our general manager of this church. Check this out. I came to church probably eight years ago and I knew I was looking for something in my life. And I heard the teachings and logically in my mind I went, yep, I agree with all of those things. I never thought I had an addiction. I never thought I had an issue in my life. Most people would look in and say, well, they're doing well, great family, good business. I didn't have a problem. I did, I just didn't believe it. I was a workaholic and I chased money. I saw money as basically a measuring stick for how successful I was. I would say to my wife, hey, I'm doing this for the family. They'd go, oh, we'd just like to see you more. But I'd say, well, hang on a minute, I'm doing this, I'm working for the family so that we can send kids to private schools, so that we can have the nicest house. Really, it was just all about me. I did it because I liked the money. All those years, even though I was generous and I was a kind person and a good-natured person, it was built on a foundation of money being my master. And money's a really cruel master. It's unforgiving. I was never satisfied. Uh, I, I spent the last 25 years of my life working 100% commission because I loved the thrill of achievement. I remember doing Fed Fast and Tony said to me specifically, if there's just one thing, pray into one thing that you're hopeful for this year. And for me, I just prayed that I would have a joy in my life because I was really busy doing things and chasing dollars but I didn't have a joy in my life. I could see that my family didn't see any joy in me. I prayed a prayer that God this year would just be a year where I could experience a joy that I've never had before. Within a matter of weeks he 
took my finances away completely. He took my business away completely. He took my career away. I shouldn't say he took, he allowed these things to happen. And at that time I felt God was giving me a testimony to say, hey, this is a time where you can only rely on me. It sounds crazy, but I am so thankful for that really painful season in my life because of what it's taught me now and what it's released me from. My business colleagues and my friends and family over the last two years, they would have said, we feel so sorry for you, for your situation. And I have to arrest them and say, no, don't feel sorry, I'm actually free for the first time in my life. What a powerful story. Thanks so much, Andre, for sharing that with us. But I believe Andre's story, though would be different with other people, I think essentially, if we're honest with ourselves, money probably has a greater grip on our lives than we would give ourselves credit for. And so I want to address that this morning. So if you would turn with me to Mark, sorry, Mark, Matthew chapter 6, reading from verse 19. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Follow on the screen or on your device or Bible. That would be fantastic. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We need to understand these are not my words. These are the very words of Jesus. And He says that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, money has a spirit. It's not just paper. That note that you hold, it's, it's more than that. It's more than the paper that it is printed on. Money has power to attract a spirit. It has power to pull what is in you out. Money takes on the spirit the moment it touches your hand. Whatever is in you, that money will take on that spirit that is in you. Whatever you are feeling, whatever you're thinking, money takes that on. And the moment money touches your hands, it gains one of two spirits. Either it takes on the Spirit of God and God's sovereignty is on that finance, or it takes on the enemy's spirit or, and allows the enemy to take direction in my life. And the spirit that the Bible calls it is the spirit of mammon or the love of money. And I want to put this challenge out to us as a church, myself included, that I believe that a large portion of the church is gripped and dominated by the influence of mammon. We may not be aware of it, but that's what this series is all about. You see, there's a big difference between having money and money having you. And most of us would like to say, hey, money doesn't have me. But the Bible has a number of tests in order to highlight where we are at in our journey when it comes to our finances. Mammon is simply unsurrendered money. Would it be fair to say that any unsurrendered area of our lives has the power to draw us away from God? 
This is not just about money. If I have a relationship and God is into relationships, God said to Adam in the very first person on the, world, in the, on the planet, He said, it's not good for man to be alone. So God is into relationships. But if you have a relationship that is unsurrendered to God, it will draw you away from the things of God. We have many people that want a relationship. They're praying for a husband. They're praying for a wife. And we've had the joy of being able to pray with people, for people when it comes to their relationships, only to find when they find Mr. Right or Mrs. Right, they are drawn away from the church. We don't see them anymore. That tells me that that relationship, it's not about being good or bad. It's just unsurrendered. It's become more important than our relationship with God. And so whatever is unsurrendered in our life has the power to draw us away from the things of God. Is God into relationships? Absolutely. But can an unsurrendered relationship draw us away from the things of God? Absolutely. We see it all the time. And this is not a victory issue. This is not an Adelaide issue. This is not an Australian issue. This is a problem worldwide because we're dealing with the human heart. And this series is about us surrendering the area of our finances to God for kingdom purpose. Any area that is unsurrendered in our life has the power to draw us away. A supernatural sign or a wonder, a healing, if it is unsurrendered, can draw us away from God. We've had the privilege of praying for many people over the years. And you would think that if somebody had a child that was born blind and they brought that child to a church, let's say Victory Church in dear old Adelaide. And they asked their pastor, little old me, to pray for this child that had been born blind. And let's just say that I had the privilege of being able to pray for that child. And lo and behold, miracle of miracles, doctors certified that this child that was once born blind and could not see was now able to see. You would think that moment would carry a person all the days of their life. You think that that miracle, that sign, that wonder, that healing that took place, not in Africa, but dear old Adelaide, through little old Victory Church many years ago, you would think that they would be singing, Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God all the days of their life. You think that little child would grow up singing, Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God all the days of their lives. And yet, sadly, that is not the case. And to be honest, I don't even know if this little child is aware of the miracle that took place in their life because mum never hung around. She got her miracle, but she never surrendered a miracle to God. She got the healing, but didn't surrender that healing to God. And we no longer saw her. And we've seen that over and over and over again, because whatever you don't surrender, and it is true with our finances. God wants to bless us financially. I am absolutely convinced that God wants to bless and prosper each and every one of us. Prosperity is not a dirty word. It's a biblical word. The question is, are we going to surrender our prosperity to God? Or are we going to surrender our prosperity to the spirit of mammon? And it will come down to either one of those two areas in our lives. In Luke chapter 16, verse 10, it says, Whoever can be trusted with little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little is also dishonest with much. 
So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? I believe that this is what God is saying through that passage of Scripture, that money is the divine testing ground. It's the test that God uses to decide what eternal things we are ready for. And if we get money right, God's authority is released. And if we get it wrong, the enemy's authority is released. And mammon is simply that spirit that is released when we don't surrender our finances to God. Are you following all this this morning? You see, priorities determine authorities. Priorities determine authorities. For example, if you give God authority over your soul, you'll find authority over your soul. If you give God authority over your spirit man, you'll find authority over your spirit man. If you give authority over to your uh, God authority. If you give God authority over your money and material world, then you'll find authority over your money and material world. We will be recipients of more spiritual breakthroughs of eternal riches when we get this money thing sorted out. Who wants more authority? Luke 16 verse 12 says, And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, Who will give you property of your own? You cannot serve two masters. Either you'll hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Again, these are not my words. These are Jesus' words, and they're quite definitive. This is not a suggestion. This is a statement of fact. Jesus said you cannot serve both God and money. You can't serve God in your material world when God... Uh, doesn't rule over your material world. And the enemy wants to weaken you by living with divided loyalties. Even generous people can be ruled by the spirit of mammon. True financial freedom can only take place when God is given authority over our financial world. And I want to look at a few thoughts around that this morning. And then we're done. I want to address the thought that money has a spirit and that spirit's name is mammon. Mammon number one, uh, mammon's device, sorry, is deception. We need to ask ourselves, what or who is directing your life's decisions? What or who is directing your life's decisions? If money or material things direct your life, then money, the what, has become a who. It will either be God or it will be mammon. Mammon begins with partial control, but it works toward ultimate control. And a believer can't get fully consumed with kingdom purpose if he's serving mammon. You may be a church attender. You may sing worship songs. You may even read the Bible. But once mammon gains authority, it's empowered to draw us away from the things of God. And it uses deception to do so. Some questions that are worth asking ourselves. Does money decide where you live? Does money decide what church you go to? Does it decide what career you choose? If money makes these decisions, then there's something wrong. These are decisions that God should make in our lives. 
You don't make major decisions based on money. If you do, then it's possible that Mammon is in the place of that authority. We had an incredible time on Tuesday night of this week where we gathered some potential interns for next year, 2018. And there's about 10 or nine or 10 young people, school leavers, soon to be school leavers. And uh, we presented the curriculum. We presented what it is that uh, we are about to do and embark on. And every person to a man and woman in that room, both the potential students and the parents of those potential students were all encouraged and all inspired and said, wow, this is brilliant. And then we presented the cost. And it's amazing after presenting the cost, there was a few heads that went, oh, I can't afford that. And we presented this notion, before you work out whether you can afford it or not, ask yourself this, is this something you believe God is wanting you to embrace? Is this something you feel God is wanting for your life? Do you feel like this is something that will set your uh, child up for the rest of their lives? Is this an important year of their lives? Now, of course, we need wisdom. But what we don't want is finances or lack of making our decisions for us. And so we challenged all of those potential students for 2018 to go away and pray about it. And to ask God, is this something that you would have me do next year? We said, if money was no object, would you do this? And if the answer is yes, then we can work with you in creating financial pathways in order for you to be able to pay this course off. But don't let what you have or don't have dictate what God is calling you to do. How many callings have been aborted because of a lack of finance or misdirected finance? I believe as a church, we are called to connect people to God, to His church and to their purpose. And the purpose in the heart of this series is that we would have a company of people, an army of people that would not have to make a decision about their future based upon money but they could make it based upon purpose, calling and God shape. And that's why we need to be wise stewards and that's why we need to be wise parents and help our young people create financial pathways that they would be wise with their finance so that they could make decisions that are based on their future and what God has for them. The Bible says it this way, train a child in the way that they should go and in the end that they will not depart from it. That particular verse is speaking of a hunter that would go out looking at all the trees, looking for the perfect branch with the perfect bend in it to make the perfect bow. And when he sees it, he cuts it down and he shapes it and it becomes a weapon in his hand. He's looking for that one that's just got the right bend in it. Well, every one of us has a bend. We're all bent a certain way. Do you know that? We're all bent a certain way. God has designed us and created us and called us and fashioned us. He knew us before We were even born. It was He who put us together in our mother's womb, the Bible says. And He put us together with a DNA and a purpose and a God shape. And I love that thought. And what I've seen so often is parents that get their child with a certain bent and then they try and straighten them out. I'll straighten you out, boy. I don't know that we should be straightening our kids out. I think we should be going with their leanings. Because there's too many people that are lawyers that don't want to be lawyers. It's just that it pays better. And there are too many people that are saying yes to promotions when they don't have the capacity to handle the extra work. They like the extra money, they just can't handle the extra work. And we make decisions based on finance 
which is an indicator of where our heart is. We're being led by the spirit of mammon. You'll either serve God or money. And I don't want my kids making decisions based upon what pays better. I want them to live a life doing a job that has purpose and calling attached to it. Generally speaking, we live our first 15 years in the schooling system, then we get a part-time job. So from 15 to 65, we're in the workforce. And then from 65 to 80, that's pretty much the time we have left. And for those of you who are over 80, God bless you, you are winning. Hashtag winning. But essentially from 15 to 65, we spend in a workplace. Why would you want to spend all those years doing something you hate because it pays well? I've been in the workforce for 33 years and I want to tell you, I've never been in a job that I didn't love, that I wasn't passionate about, that I wasn't cool to do, that I wasn't good at. When I first started, I did sign writing and I'm a creative by nature and I love doing what I did. I left school and I came alive having left the education system because I was able to paint and I was able to create and I was able to write and I was able to make. And all across Adelaide was my fingerprint. And I was the biggest pain in the neck to all my friends. I'd drive down Main North Road and say, I did that, I did that, I did that, I made that, I'm changing Adelaide. Adelaide is a beautiful place because of me. <laughs> Loved it. My bread and butter was doing words, sign writing. But I'm a creative. I, I didn't want to just do signs. I didn't want to just do words. I wanted to paint pictures. Basically at school, I was good at colouring in. And I was told, find what you enjoy doing, do it so well that someone will pay you for it. Yeah. Right. And so I thought, I love colouring in. Can I get paid for colouring in? Yeah, sign writing allows me to colour in and get paid for it. And so I thought, you know, words, okay, you need fish and chips because people need to know it's a fish and chip shop, great. But do you know what? And then I'd draw these little thumbnail sketches and I'd start drawing it and I'd say, hey, we could do what you suggested for this amount, but... If you had this, and I'd, I'd show them my masterpiece. And I'd say, if you have that, I'm sure you would agree it looks better than that. Your choice is that or that. Your choice is that or that. You're right, there is no choice, I know. And I said, you just need to know that if you choose this option, it's three times the price. But they've seen it now, they've tasted it. And they want that. And so I would upsell a job doing what I love doing. I got more money for doing what I love doing. And I got paid to colour in. <laughs> Loved it. And then God called me to this vocation. And I love doing this. You know what? I, I used to be like the party animal. I'd come into a room and, and the place would just come alive. And I used to love that. How can I use that for God? I love capturing people's attention. I love capturing people's imagination. That can be big-headed and that can take you down a path. Yes, but it also can be something that's good. And I realised, even from a young age, that's what happened. When I walked in, people listened. People followed. I didn't like it initially. I actually used to come home and complain to dad, oh, so-and-so, they've got the same hairstyle as me. I used to get so mad. People copied me all the time. I'd... 
And I didn't realize that that's leadership. I get so annoyed with this thing called leadership. I didn't want everyone to have the permed mullet. I didn't want everyone to do that. I didn't. I think I created double denim in the 80s. I think I created that. And, and, and just, it's just, I just get so mad. And then I realise, hang on, for people in my world, that this is, this is leadership. And I love doing what I'm doing because it's the way I'm bent. It's the way I'm wired. It's who God has made me to be. And I never want to apologise to you for that. And I wish and pray that every one of us would find our purpose and be bold enough to live in it. But if we're going to do that, in order to take the pressure off financially, we're going to have to create some healthy financial pathways in order for us to embrace what God is calling us to do. Because if we're going to be silly with our finances, we're going to have to take the job that pays more because we haven't managed what we've had in the past well. But who thinks the world would be a happier place if we could actually do what we've been called to do and enjoyed doing and we're actually good at if money was no issue? But money is an issue and that's why we're talking about it. Because money does matter. Are you with me today? So the first one is Mammon's device is deception. And secondly, Mammon's deception is control. Its device is deception, but its deception is in its control. And it begins with the insignificant things. It begins with the little things. It begins with comments like this. Oh, I've been so blessed. Oh my gosh, I, I got the job. Wow. Hey, guys, guess what? We go to Connect Group. Got a praise report. Got a testimony. Let me, oh, pick me, pick me, pick me. Oh, I got a promotion. All those things are wonderful and we celebrate them because they are indeed praise reports. But there's a deeper question we have to ask to that praise report. It's not enough that we just celebrate the goodness of God. There's a deeper question. The question is, so what will you do with that? You've been blessed. What are you going to do with that? So you got your promotion. What are you going to do with that? Is that going to equal more hours and we're not going to see you anymore? What are you going to do with this promotion? What are you going to do with this financial windfall? What are you going to do with this blessing? Our kids know this to be true, but from a very early age, we, we created many mantras in our home. But this was one of them because I didn't want our kids to grow up as consumers only. I wanted them to grow up as contributors Oh yeah, receive by all means. But let's be contributors. And so from a very early age, you might say, I indoctrinated them. You might even say, I brainwashed them. And you'd be absolutely correct. Because every one of us has been brainwashed by someone or something. And so I, from a very early age, would tell our kids that you're blessed. And I'd get them to repeat after me. Say, you're blessed. By God. Can, can, can we actually do that right now? Can you just humour me as, as a spiritual dad of this house? Can we just do that right now for, for me, if, even if it's not for you? Because this is fun and it's powerful at the same time. Repeat after me. I'm blessed, I'm blessed. By, God. by God to be a blessing, be blessing. To, others. to others. And then when they gave me a response like you've just given me, I'd say, no, 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 that doesn't count. That doesn't count. That doesn't count. There's no power in that. 
There's no power in rhetoric. There's power in belief. There's power in conviction. I believe. I'm committed. I'm persuaded. And so I say, come on, Mitch, say it again. Say it like you mean it. Hey, let's sing like we're on the winning side. Why? Because we are. And so I'm blessed by God to be a blessing to others. That's what I'm talking about. Said with power and conviction. Nothing wrong with being blessed. In actual fact, if you're here today and you say, Tony, I've got enough blessing. I don't need any more blessing. I would say that's way too smaller thinking. That's not kingdom thinking. That's self-thinking. Because you're just making it all about you and your little world. But the great thing about the kingdom of God is the kingdom's beyond us. If we had 52 campuses right now, I would want 53. Because we never arrive. There's always a next step to take. And so whatever God has blessed you financially in right now, hey, would it be fair to say that if you were more blessed, you could be more of a blessing? Would that be fair to say? Can you imagine if kingdom-minded people had the majority of the finance in the world? Would the world be better? I think it would. And so that's why this series is so powerful because it's for everyone. If you're struggling financially, it's for you. If you're doing really well financially, it's for you because there's always more than before. There's always a next step to take because the kingdom of God is bigger than anything we are presently experiencing or receiving. And so there is more. Everyone say more. There's more than before. Amen. So what will you do with what you've been blessed with? Because whatever you've been blessed with needs to establish God's authority over it. Whatever you receive needs to have God's authority over it. You see, in this nation, and I would dare say in the Western world, we have a problem with our 18 to 25s attending church. Those from 18 to 25, and it goes older than that, but there's this little bracket where people just fall out the church. And I think at the heart of that is because of this very thing that I'm talking about. What you've been blessed with needs to have God's authority on it. And if it doesn't have God's authority on it, it will have the enemy's authority on it. And when the enemy's authority is on something, it will draw you away. I think what happens to 18-year-olds, they get out of school and they get some money. For the first time, real money. They start earning real money. Some of them leave the schooling system, they get a job, and they get real money. And if that money they receive is not surrendered and doesn't have God's authority, it will have the enemy's authority, and that's why we see them drawn away. Or they go to tertiary education, and they start getting filled with other ideas and other thoughts. And if we don't surrender those thoughts to God, it draws us away. It's a time in our life where we start getting serious about relationships. That boy comes along, that girl comes along. And if we don't surrender that relationship to God, it has the enemy's authority on that relationship. And you might be two Christians, but the enemy's authority can be on a relationship where two Christians are involved. And I know that because it will draw you away. Is that possibly, let me just throw it out there as a possible thought that some of our 18 to 25 just fall away because we don't have, we have not surrendered the finance that comes to us, the relationships that come to us, or the new information from our universities that comes to us. Whatever you don't surrender, 
yourself to, the opposite spirit will have authority in your life. And I thank God for my wife. We've been together since we were 14 years of age. And I love her more now than ever before. We started dating way back in 1984. I asked her to go out with me and be my girlfriend in a couple skating at Modbury Skate Line to the tune of Bonnie Tyler's Total Eclipse of the Heart. I loved her then. I love her more now. But every day I have to surrender that relationship to God. Because as much as I love her, she never died for me. She never laid her life down for me and saved me from my sin. I love her, but I surrender that relationship. Because if I don't, it will take me away. It'll take me away. It'll take me away. I thank God. As a 15-year-old, when I started my apprenticeship, I earned $120 gross. I worked a full week for $120 gross. I know, it's gross, isn't it? It's just... And tax had to come out of that. I earn a lot more money than that these days, thank God. But with every promotion and every financial increase and every financial windfall, I have to surrender it. It's easy to surrender 120 bucks because when you do that, you're just, you're just trusting God will somehow magically make it more. <laughs> but whatever is not surrendered, the enemy has authority over that area and it will draw you away. I'm passionate about our young adults. I'm passionate about those that come out of youth group. And I don't want to see, I want to stop the rot. I want to see our young adults on fire for Jesus. Embracing new relationships, embracing new information, embracing more money than they've ever had before and saying yes to Jesus, surrendering that. That's what I want to see. I want to see God's authority in their life. And number three, Mammon's goal is worship. Mammon's goal is worship. True worship is about who we position in the place of our ultimate authority in every area of our lives. Be that relational, spiritual, material, financial, any area of our life. What made the devil the devil is that he desired worship that belonged to God. That's what made the devil the devil. We think the devil is this, this guy in a, in a red suit with a pitchfork and, and he's a little bit nasty. Now what, what made him the devil is when he wanted something that was belong to God. When we hold on to something that belongs to God, who do we become like? And none of us are exempt from those thoughts and feelings, myself included. We have to fight this. We have to fight this. We have to fight this on a daily basis. You see, there's one thing having values. Values are awesome. That, that statement of belief. But having a culture is a whole nother level. Values are one thing. Culture is something completely different. Values are what we believe. Culture is what, how we behave. I remember reading recently about Eliab, David, King David's older brother. But before he was king, he was just a little shepherd boy. And he came to the battlefield at the request of his father to give his brothers on the battlefield some food. And so he did exactly what his father had asked him to do. And he ran into his older brother, Eliab. And Eliab is a mad as heck with David. 
He goes, why are you here? And who have you left those sheep with? I know why you're here. You're just here to see the battle. Now, what you need to know about that moment is this, that for 40 days they've been paralysed with fear and no battling had been happening. They were dressed for battle. They were in the place of battle. They were talking about battle, but no battle was happening. They had a value of battle. If you were to ask Eliab, do you believe in battle? He'd say, that's why I'm here. I believe in battle. Can't you see the way I'm dressed? Haven't you heard our conversations? Can't you see where I'm standing? But David, this young 17-year-old punk of a kid, says, uh, one question, Eliab, what battle? I just see a lot of grown men playing dress-ups. We laugh, we joke, but who believes in evangelism? We do, we have to, we're Christians. But do we have it as a culture? I can prove that by one question. When's the last time you evangelised? I know we believe it, but do we do it? When our kids were very young, they had certain behavioural traits we didn't like. And so we created what we called the Rainbow Family Commandments. And I printed it up because of my creative nature. It It looked amazing. Those Rainbow Family Commandments were amazing. And I put them on the fridge. It was a lot easier writing them and designing them and sticking them on the fridge. We had our values on the fridge, but we didn't yet have the culture in the house. Do you know the difference between the values on the fridge and the culture in the house? It comes down to one word. A battle. You want those cult, that culture in your house? You've got to fight for it. You'll want to know what those values, particularly ones with young kids. What were the rainbow family commandments? Real simple. They were age-appropriate commandments. Number one, thou shalt not stomp their feet. And there was one of our children more prone to doing that than the other. I won't tell you who it is, but his name rhymes with Itchel. And I used to mark... I used, to, when he, I used to march him over the fridge and say, what's commandment number one say? Don't shout, not stomp their feet. I say, you're a rainbow. We don't do that here. I've got to be honest with you, it was a lot easier putting him on the fridge than getting him in the house. But I'm here to say, won the battle. Won the battle. Don't mess with me. Won the battle. Pick a fight, we win it. David changed the culture that day. While they were all sitting around talking about their values, David, with a glint in his eye, a smile on his face, spring in his step, sling in his hand, runs at the giant and just knocks his block off. So cool. Perfect timing. Cue music, bang. I see that. I see David running down, the keyboard playing. It's just... Smacks the devil's head with a rock. But he's making this defiant tort that I'm going to cut your head off. He doesn't even have a knife. Man, David doesn't even have a Swiss Army pocket knife. He's got nothing. But he's got a plan. So he knocks this giant out. Who knows whether the stone killed him or not? I don't know. But David was not going to take chances. And he stands over this humongous guy, nine foot plus feet tall, and grabs his sword, the giant sword, cuts his head off. I mean, the Bible is full of incredible stories. When I hear people say, preachers are boring, I I think all boring preachers should be locked up. Because to make the Word of God, to make the Word of God boring with all those incredible stories, it's ridiculous. How do you make this story boring? And and David picks up the Goliath's head, uh, the giant's head, Goliath, and he goes to the king. The cool thing is, the culture changed that day. 
No longer did they have, we believe in battle on the fridge. But when they saw what David did, the army of God rose up and went into battle and the culture was changed. How did it get changed? Because you've got to win some battles. If we're going to change the culture about our finances, we've got to win some battles. And we have to win some battles, not just for ourselves, but for future generations. I see my kids serving God. I see my kids doing what God has called them to do. I see their kids. I'm looking forward to grandkids. I am. And I'm looking forward to grandkids, grandkids. I, I want to see our kids, kids, kids. I want to see every generation that comes from our loins. I want to see them serving God and making decisions based upon calling, not money. Devil wants worship, but he doesn't parade in an obvious manner. He's not that guy in a red suit and a pitchfork. He's subtle. And his number one scheme, I believe, and the Bible says, do not be unaware of the devil's schemes. See, we're not fighting the devil head on. We're fighting his schemes. And one of his greatest schemes is money. That's why the Jesus says either serve God or money. And he wants to draw your worship from God away from him to something or someone else. And if we could worship money, he wins. That's what he wants. He wants the worship that is due to God and only God. He wants that to be drawn away from him to something and someone else. And when that happens, he wins. Are you with me? We're all but out of time. Can I just go through three things really practically? This is practical stuff now. Maybe the band can come up. They will just hold me accountable. But three things that cause us to struggle financially, really practical now. I hope you've been inspired. But in my heart of heart, every time I preach, I want to preach in a manner that is biblical, practical, and inspirational. I want to inspire you to put the Word of God into practice. And so just practically speaking, things that may cause us to find, uh, struggle financially, number one, when we accommodate destructive debt. See, I didn't say no debt. I'm talking about unnecessary debt. Most of us may be in debt because of a home. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the unnecessary stuff. If debt makes decisions then debt has the place of authority. I would say this practically as a father to my kids, but as a father to the people that call Victory Home. Don't get into debt for things that depreciate. Televisions and phones and computers and all those things that we just got to have. It's amazing. People in my generation, generally, we have old phones. The young ones, they have the brand new phones. I say, guys, don't, don't get into debt over things like that. Secondly, don't, uh, we will struggle if we don't embrace a strong work ethic. James chapter 2, verse 14 says, Brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith yet has no deeds, can such a faith save them? I believe faith and application go hand in hand. It's up to us to do the work. In actual fact, I, I think we can probably all work harder than we presently do. You know, this is what the gym has taught me. And the power of the mind. 
The mind often gives way before the body does. And so I've learned this through some good people in my world and some good training partners, that when I feel like I'm done, I'm spent, I've got nothing, my mind's saying, give up, give in, you're going to hurt yourself. I know I've probably got three to five more reps. My body actually can do more, but we often stop because our mind says, give up. To all the young people out there, you want to conquer the world? Fantastic. Come back off Winter Project, awaken, brilliant. But if you want to conquer the world, conquer your bedroom first. Keep a tidy rain on your bedroom. Why? Because he who is faithful in the little things will be given much. God's not going to give you the world if you can't look after the bedroom. And can I just say this? It's actually not your bedroom. It's on loan to you. It belongs to your parents. And we need to be good stewards with what we've been given. Keep a tidy bedroom. And even if your mum and dad aren't tidy people and they're not getting on to you, do it because it's good practice. It's good practice. You know, you want to impress bosses today, it's really quite simple. Just have a good work ethic. If you just get to work before it actually, you need to be there, that will speak to your boss. And if you work just a few minutes later than when you're meant to finish, you'll get the boss's attention. And when there's promotions going, the boss's eye will be on you. But if we sit back and say, oh, the boss doesn't like me, he favours others, he just doesn't like me, and yet we're rocking up late, we're leaving early, we don't do a good job, we have a bad attitude, we don't get in uniform, we've got to have a good work ethic. You're going to struggle financially and you will not implement a healthy financial pathway if you don't have a good work ethic. And number three, if we fail to implement financial accountability. See, good decisions are managed decisions. It's what I call fellowshipping up. No one in this room has the monopoly of truth, myself included. We all need help. And when it comes to the spirit of mammon, it has deep roots. And in order for those deep roots to be dealt with, we're going to need help. The Bible says it this way in Proverbs 11, verse 14, for lack of guidance, a nation falls, but victory is won through many advisors. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au.